So uh, we've got Lex Divine, not not Ryan. I shouldn't call you Ryan, or should I call you Lex now? I mean, this is sort of a kayfabe breaking podcast, right? So yeah, yeah. I mean, we're we're sitting next to each other on a couch, and in kayfabe. Uh, the most interaction we've ever had is him reading bullying tweets to me in front of a crowd. Uh, uh-huh. okay. So we well, don't, we're not together and are not, like, living together in different so. Right, in, 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 in the wrestling world. That's okay. So I'm supposed to be Italian, so, you know, and, and, and I'll have spaghetti tonight, but that's about the only thing about me that's, that's, that's actually Italian. Don't tell... Uh, uh, Monty from Monty and the Pharaoh. He gets so upset at that. For some reason, Monty from Monty and the Pharaoh thinks that like my pretending that I was Italian is like the most offensive thing that's ever happened in the history of wrestling. And us to so we have questions from fans, mm-hmm. and I'm here to answer them. And uh, just I, I may blather on and on and on, but I will get to a point eventually with your help. Like so, in my introductions, I will get to a point eventually. And here is the first point I'm going to get to a question. Or actually, it's more of a statement slash question. And it says, please ask Dutch. Dutch, do you know who up in New York is talking about you? Uh, yes. There's, there's two answers to that, really. Mm-hmm. One of them, you say, who? And they said, Nobody. All right, welcome back to Long Island's number one pro wrestler broadcast, Monty DeFaro, only seen here out of indie music TV. You know, Abe, as I was watching you do the countdown, I noticed you're one of those guys that have that that moving leg syndrome. Yeah. You've heard of that, right? Oh, yeah. Yeah, totally. That's like a, like a, a nervous twitch or something like that, isn't it? Yeah, that, that's the guy that's always sitting behind you on the airplane seat. Yeah, right. <laughs> yeah, that's exactly. right. I know that guy. That's right. That's right. Yeah. What a jewel he is to be in front of. But that's kind of like profiling, isn't it? No. No? It's just the way it is. So if the guy, if the guy's just like, I don't know. I got to say this politically correct. If he's just sitting there quietly, not doing anything? No, like his he's leg a good is, passion. Is, no, no. His leg's moving, but you turn around and he, he looks like Bruce. You're you're okay. I don't know about that. <laughs> I don't know that anybody wants to turn around and look like that. <laughs> it's a far Ouch. cry from the Pharaoh, you know. Ouch. Oh, oh, yeah. Yeah, I'm not... You missed Jimmy, huh? We, we were talking yeah. before the show started. You missed Jimmy. I yeah, think he's going to be happy to hear I that. I only came out here to do this thing because I thought the Pharaoh was here. Not <laughs> the I get it. Gone. I get it. You came in. You're like, what just happened? Where's I, my friend Jimmy? You know, from now on, I got to call in advance to make sure the Pharaoh's here. <laughs> or you could go to Florida. Well, you know, in another couple of months, it might be a good trip. Go to you, Panhandle. You didn't tell me nice to bring party favors to a press guest. You, you, <laughs> you, well... By the smell of you yesterday, you had plenty of it. All you had to do was say something. Um, At least when he talks, it's unimportant. <laughs> Ouch. Ray, I got to tell you, I love having you in, man. We were just talking how you suspended us. Uh, you got us suspended last year, which was good. Uh, that's okay. I've, I've worked my magic many places we, we I've should, gone. We should talk some politics again. I miss talking politics. Oh. All right. We can talk a lot. Of, but I want to hit a quick news item, and maybe you could weigh in on that, along with my illustrious co-host here is he impressing you so far i'm dep- depressing him over there <laughs> <laughs> depressing wow all right now you you kind of wishing the female co-host was here today huh oh anything's better than that <laughs> ouch i feel like there's a cane that's going to be coming over and dragging me <laughs> one could only hope <laughs> oh, jesus one could only 
Ex-St. Louis area police officer accused of sexually abusing handcuffed man. A former St. Louis area police officer was accused this week in federal indictment of groping eight men he had handcuffed sexually by uh, abusing one of them, prosecutors said Thursday. Uh, Marcellus Blackwell, 34, of St. Louis, was indicted on 21 felony counts. Wednesday, the U.S. attorney from the Eastern District Court of Missouri said Blackwell was an officer with the North County Police Cooperative, a law enforcement agency that serves several, several communities in the North St. Louis County. He was arrested on a state charge in June on an allegation that he sodomized a man with his finger. Wow. So it seems like this is going around. I mean, didn't Matt Riddle just have a problem with the police officer a couple weeks ago? Not with his finger. <laughs> so that's where you missed the Farrow right there, right? Yeah. I got the finger thing. Farrow says a joke. Bruce has had the script in his hand, I don't know, 48 hours. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and what was the reaction? Yeah, you really surprised him with it. <laughs> Ouch. Sodomization, <laughs> sodomization with a finger. What are you thinking about that? Maybe you could give me something on this. I Listen, thought this was a home run discussion. Yeah, well, see, like me, I would have said, well, it's better there in St. Louis with the finger because many years ago in New York, it was a plunger. There you go. Now, that's witty and well thought out, and you didn't even have the script. No. No. Speaking, speaking, some of us have it. Some of us don't. Speak, speaking of plungers, I, I must bring this up. Mm. You're with Sims for the, uh, yeah. the event, which, by the way, how does it like? How does it make you feel at, at like after all this time? All these fans still come up to you, want your autograph, want pictures with you. Does it make you like? Does that make you feel good? Yeah, it makes you feel really good. I mean, it's always nice to be remembered. At least they they remember you. You're not forgotten, you know. So it does make me feel good when the, a lot of the fans will come over and say some nice things. Like I remember when I saw you in this venue or that. Or uh, it, it's nice. I, I like it. I. I would love it too, but yeah. you know the reason I'm bringing it up. You mentioned the plumber, uh, you know, plunger. Right. Uh, rumor has it Sims is trying to do signed plungers because he has T.L. Hopper at the event. What do you think? How do you think those will go? Think uh, they'll be hot sellers? Nothing would shock me with Eric. He would sell. <laughs> he would sell smoke to the Indians if he could. You know what I'm saying? Eric, a plunger? That's minor. I, 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 but I, you know. Right, I was thinking about this, right? So some people have collectible rooms, like a man cave, and you yeah, got Yankee sure. autographs, whatever you, whatever your baseball, you, you, or right, whatever football. your pleasure is. Sure. Could you imagine having like a signed plunger, like in the man cave, like, oh, here's my signed T.L. Hopper plunger. Is it an official plunger? <laughs> I, you know, I don't know, Home Depot. I don't know where he would have gotten it from, but just well, the, it probably <laughs> takes up a lot less room than the torch or the snake, you know. So I guess the plunger would work. You could put it on the shelf. Hey, maybe we could make little ones. You know, little tiny plungers. Little tiny plungers. Yeah, that mm. might be. You could put that on the like on the little shelf, like by the books and stuff. <laughs> I, I don't even know how to answer that, man. You wouldn't I really need a don't. big display for it. You know, it could sit right next to the baseball. The baseball and the plunger. You know, like the baseball you got from I don't know Nolan Ryan or a famous guy. You put the plunger right next to it there. Yeah, by the way, if Farrow was here, he'd say Ray. I predicted the Jets were going to win the Super Bowl, which we all know Farrow's the ultimate jinx, but yeah. he, you know. Uh, it's like the mush. <laughs> that's it. You know, we've been mush. We've, we've been, been mushed. So, uh, the juju. He destroys the juju. So, yeah. you're a football guy. Yeah, I like football. What did you think about the travesty of what happened to my New York Jets? I think you're a Giant fan, if I remember properly. Of right? course, Big Blue, the Wrecking Crew. Which are just probably as bad as the Jets at this point. But Oh, yeah. Yeah, the offensive line is about as stiff as, as a colander, a strainer. But just sticking to the Jets, okay? have you ever seen a franchise that no matter <laughs> what they do, no matter who they get, they find a way to just screw it up? Well, the Jets have that way about them. You know, they, they have the ability to take top talent and destroy it. Yeah, absolutely. You know? And... Their offense, if you took the Giants and the Jets and you added them together, you wouldn't get an offensive line out of them. <laughs> They're horrible. Wow, you're right. They're horrible. Do you, do you believe in my theory that uh, Joe Willie Namath signed a, seal, uh, a deal with Satan uh, for Super Bowl three, and that's why we're in the place we are now? Is that a possibility? No. No. It has nothing to do with Joe. 
Joe was a hell of a talent, really good quarterback. He he would never do that stuff. It it's just it's the funk. It's like the Mets. You know, oh, yeah, same thing. Yeah, sure. You know, the Mets bought every available free agent they did this year, and yeah. they were in last place. They had to sell them all off because... How does that even happen? Like, you're right. They bought every great player they could get their hands Paid on. Paid the luxury tax. They did everything. Incredible. Let's not even go with the Yankees. <laughs> oh, that's a whole... What is the team batting average? 190 or something? It's unbelievable. How I, you, how I just you pay all that money and be that bad? I believe that some players are just great. Yeah. But they just have that losing, like, stench on them. Yeah. Like, Judge is a great player, incredible player. But okay. I think he's just got a losing stench on him. Whatever he, whatever he does, he just, he's a loser. Hmm. I, I I don't know how you could call a, a billionaire a loser. But you, <laughs> you, you know what I mean? When it just comes to record-wise, I guess. Yeah. I mean, uh, you know, records and stats and everything, that's all nice. But if they don't play together as a team, they'll never win. Absolutely. I mean, if you take the look at the old original Miami Dolphins, you couldn't, they, you couldn't tell me one or two guys' names that played on the defense. But they were 16-0. and 0. You're right. You're right. And then you have another team where you got this all-star and that all-pro and this guy, this guy's going to the Hall of Fame, and he's in last place. I want to bring it back to Joe Willie Namath, though. Huge Joe Willie fan. Yeah, when I was a kid, I loved him, man. When you look at his stats, though, say you don't know Joe Willie and you look at his stats as a quarterback, yeah. someone will turn to you, someone younger, and be like, this guy looks like he's an average quarterback. Yeah, mediocre, middle-of-the-road quarterback. What made Joe Willie Namath, besides his winning the Super Bowl, mm-hmm. Joe Willie Namath to you? He didn't score touchdowns or be responsible for scoring touchdowns when the game was out of control, he did it when it was a tie score. He stepped up in hard times and made the team win. That's a great answer. I mean, you don't need a guy. I mean, if the Yankees are winning nine nothing, I don't need Giancarlo Stanton to hit me a four hundred fifty foot home run. Right. When it's nothing nothing and there's you know two outs in the bottom of the ninth, I need you to get it. Right. That's yeah. When yeah. I need it. Right. Not when you're going to deliver it, I'm just going to pile it on top. I don't need it then. So it's that intangible that you yeah. can't put into the record books. So. There's guys that can never be measured by their stats, but by what they did to contribute to it, they should definitely be in a Hall of Fame. Mm. Incredible. Well, I think I think it also comes, especially with baseball, that small ball mentality is gone too. They don't play their roles. They, everybody wants to be the all star. They want the big hit. They want nobody's bunting. Nobody's you know they're not stealing the bases like they. The tangibles of the game aren't like they used to be. Everybody but where does that there. start with? It starts with the coach. <laughs> Thank you very much. And the owner. Thank you. Yeah. Those guys that are on the field don't call bunt. Don't call sacrifice. That's done for them in the little. House that they all sit in over there. What did you think about baseball when they changed the rules that you couldn't do a shift anymore and you can't, like, uh, and even the extra inning rules? I kind of was disappointed. I don't like all those rules, and I don't like the time clock between the you know batter and the pitcher. You know, listen, every one of those guys, they're, they're great athletes. Every one of them that makes it to the show can hit the ball wherever they want to. They can pull it. They can slap it the other way. They all, they all have the ability to do this. So if they shifted and you know that they're shifting, hit it where they're not standing. Right. You have the ability to do it, but you can't swing for the fences. You're just going to slap a single or maybe a double or whatever you're going to get out of it, right? So do that. Make them pay for their logic or what they're trying you to do. You all want to stand on the other side of second yeah. base? Go ahead. I'll hit it over by shortstop where there's nobody. But instead, the league facilitates that the players don't want to do that, so right. they, they force you not. And you listen to them. Now you got the tail wagging the dog. Speaking of that, think about it. You just said talking about making the show. So guys like that, right, they're great athletes. You couldn't make it. Think about you as a pro wrestler. You made the show. That puts you in the elite of the elite wrestlers. How does that make you feel? Well, it, listen, there was nothing, no bigger thrill ever than walking out from the curtain in Madison Square Garden. Because every kid that plays baseball wants to play in Yankee Stadium. And everybody that boxes or wrestles wants to go to Madison Square Garden. So when that happened to me, you know, a lot of my dreams were fulfilled. I was so happy and proud that I could do it. And, yeah, it, you know, it, does, it separates you from a thousand other guys that put on the tights and the boots. 
that never made those big buildings like that. And yeah, it was it was really cool. I really I really liked it. I I could I could only imagine. Um, before we go to commercial break, because I want to really know about Ray Apollo the man. Um, I don't think. Not that you don't get enough credit, but you know you 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 recognize as a great wrestler, but also a character wrestler, right? Which mm -hmm. is nothing wrong with that. But uh, there's much more to, uh, that I know that uh, Ray Apollo has done throughout his life and a career, and I think it's important the fans know that. But before we go to break, I will ask you this question: You you had a great WrestleMania moment. You wrestled in Madison Square Garden, like you said, the mecca. You wrestled in the show. Is there any part of you that wishes that? You didn't do it in makeup. Oh, you mean not not a, a not clown? like not in a gimmick, but as Ray Apollo the wrestler. You know that I never thought about that because that never really bothered me. You know, it never did. You know, I mean, uh, I know who I am. I know what I what I was. I know what I did. So, no, I mean, it, it never really bothered me. I didn't care if they saw my face or they saw this. Very cool. I'd like to thank the band that sings a theme song for Monty and the own Jimmy Farrow, along with his partner, Bart Griggs, make up the band Wisteria Hall. Do you know uh, Jimmy was a great singer? Sure I do. I have some of his albums. Do you really? Yeah. Well done. they got some really good music, and if, if someone doesn't have their albums out there like Mr. Apollo, you can go to the Wisteria Hall YouTube page, hit that like and subscribe. You can go to... Uh, Spotify, you could go to Apple Music, you could download that, uh, Reverb Nation, where you could get great songs as in my dreams, this life, not far behind, which is a favorite of yours, I remember you mm -hmm. telling me. Uh, and here comes the rain, and don't forget Riding High, the Monty Nefaro theme song. If you didn't know it, you are watching the world's number one pro wrestling broadcast. You know why, Ray? Why? Because Jim Beam says so. Oh. Yes. And that's all that really matters. Everybody yeah. can claim whatever they want. Jim Beam sponsors this show, so Jimmy. that kind of makes a makes us a little bit of a big deal. Yeah, it does. All right. You can catch us on the Monty DeFaro YouTube page, the Monty DeFaro Facebook Live page. Here's on iHeartRadio, Spotify, Anchor, the Monty DeFaro Twitch TV page. And if you're lucky enough to live in New York, catch us on Channel 115 every Tuesday at 9.30 p.m. And Saturday at 11.30 a.m. and Channel 20 at 2... Well, sorry, Tuesdays at... 7 p.m. where we see the great Ray Apollo in a reduced version of this interview. We're also on the Intuitive Network. That's I-N-2-I-T-I-V-E. Did you ever hear Intuitive? Yeah, I heard of it. All right. Well, it's a free app. It's got movies. It's got documentaries. It's got music videos. And it's got the anchor show, Monty Nefaro, on it. And it's free, Ray. All you do is hit the button, download it's on your phone. Oh, can't beat that. You can't. Free is great. We'll be right back with who we consider one of the great all-time wrestlers, Mr. Ray Apollo, who is a great guest on the show. We had him before, and uh, he doesn't really like the fill-in co-host, but there's really nothing we could do about that. But you want yeah, to send us to a commercial? We'll be right back with Ray Apollo. Manscaped? Uh-huh. Uh, you know, have you tried the new equipment that's been sent? I'm afraid because it says Weed Whacker. <laughs> I'm scared. Maven, Manscaped, what are you thinking about Love Manscaped, it. dude? You Love it. it. What do you use it for? Necessity. What, what don't I use it for? Put it this way. <laughs> the only hair I have on my entire body is these eyebrows. Yeah. That oh. you see. These wow. caterpillars racing to the middle of my nose. That's it. That is it. That's all, that's all I have. And that's all I want. That's the So Manscaped? There's a must. We were talking before the show. There's nothing worse than just hair. Yeah. Right? Hair on a woman, hair on a man. It's just bad. Absolutely. And it's the one thing that the older I get, it starts growing more in unwanted areas. Absolutely. I hate it. I'm going to ask you a question. Uh-oh. Just going to go out there. Oh, boy. Go for it. You're doing a deed. Yes. <laughs> Again, I don't want you to have to admit this because we... As men, we try not to admit this, but if you're going to oh, go do a deed it. on a woman, I know would you rather going. have her be hairless or a little hair, racing stripe, or <laughs> racing stripe. full retro bush? <laughs> racing well, stripe. Retro bush is out. Yes, thank you. Retro bush is out. Yeah. Um, I don't mind a small, well-manicured landing strip. 
every now and then, if it's completely, and I'm talking like baby's ass bald, mm. then I, I start, where is that pedophilia line? That I'm, that I'm, I don't, I don't wow. want to wander into that. That's very a bit interesting. Like that. I never thought about wow. that. You're a smart dude. Oh, yeah. So if the landing strip is clean enough for the plane to go in smoothly, you're cool with that. If the landing strip is, has, like I said, well manicured, yeah. you yeah. can see both sides. It's not like blinking lights on both sides of that. Landing? I just don't, I don't want, <laughs> you know, I don't want the shrubbery going off into yeah. unwanted areas on that. Gotcha. As well. Oh, yeah, look but, what you found. Ooh. I got to be all honest gotcha. though. Hey. The, ah. <laughs> the older I get, though, I don't. I think I don't think I can be as. Uh, I as, found as, it. Have, I found have it. Have you ever gone down there and like just like you, she slowly brings down the underwear? Then what is retro? Just Absolutely. Retro. You're like, Whoa. Wow. Yeah, like, like it pops out. Do you like walk out or what do you do? No, I, tr I muster through. I muster up the <laughs> courage. He's, He's a trooper. Yeah. He's a trooper. <laughs> Gotta give him an yeah, Not all. Not all heroes wear capes. Yeah, I, no, I, 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 listen, I could. I could Bush. I couldn't say it. Well. If you have the same beliefs as Maven does, Manscaped could help you. Absolutely. The weed whacker. Absolutely. What are you thinking? I'm thinking that I may have to, like, you know, go in a room, close the door, and hang out with the weed whacker for a little while. Yeah, I think you're a retro guy, aren't you? I like 70s adult films, if that's what you're getting at. Yeah, there you go. Yeah, but with that, we're going to take a quick Batman. commercial break and anyway. we'll be back with this wrestling icon, Maven. We will see you in a drop kick second. Uh -oh. Drop kick second. All right, welcome back to Long Island's number one pro wrestling broadcast, Monte DeFaro, only seen here out of Indie Music TV, where we have the great Ray Apollo in studio. Ray, how are you? Hey, guys. It's been a while, man. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's been over a year. It has been. Yeah. I got to tell you, you're probably one of the most entertaining human beings I've ever met. <laughs> you, you, uh, you got stories. I could probably just sit and just... Watch you go. Well, that's the idea of this business, <laughs> to be entertaining, right? But you know what the thing is? It seems like you, in like, look, I would say maybe most of us don't enjoy our job, right? It's like you go to work, get paid, go home. You're, you're grateful and you go home. But you, I'm, I was watching you talk to the boys, you know, before we started these interviews, and you just seem like you just loved every second of it. Yeah. I did. I had a lot of fun. I wouldn't change nothing. I mean, there's a few things I probably wouldn't do over again. Right. You know, there was a couple things I shouldn't have done. But by and large, I would live my life the same way as I did. I had a lot of fun. I think it's, I think it's important. Um, I'm, a, I'm a huge fan of you. Uh, you know, well, obviously you. your character as a wrestling fan. But even more as the human being from the first time I met you, I, I found you to be very impressive. And I thought, uh, since this is your second time in, I thought it was really important for the fans that don't know Ray Apollo, the man, right? They only know the character. If you, if you could share with everybody who Ray Apollo is, you know, where he grew up, his family, and, you know. Sure. Thanks. I mean, I grew up in North Jersey, and uh, I always had a dream about, do, you know, becoming a professional wrestler, but... I never thought it, I would be able to take it as far as I did. And I got lucky in a couple aspects. You know, I, I went to uh, do TVs for Vince McMahon's father, where I met Afa and Sika, and they took a liking to me. And those boys really helped me out a lot. You know, I still call them uncle and pops, you know, and they know who that is. And uh, they were good to me, and I met all the kids, you know, all, all of the new Polynesian guys, you know, and uh, that was a great time. Back then, we didn't fly everywhere. We drove everywhere, and you really get to know people when you're driving in the car with them three, four hundred miles a day every day for a couple of weeks at a clip, you know. It was, it was a different time than it is today. It was more personal. We, we wrestled in a lot of smaller venues, you know. You really got to meet all the fans. You got to meet... It was more up close and impersonal, but like anything else, time evolves, times change. Now they play just all big venues, and it's not like the family atmosphere that I remember. I mean, uh, you know, in my life, you know, Bam Bam was one of my closest friends. His one son's my godson. You know, we were like a little family. Scotty was my fishing buddy. We'd go shoot guns and... We had a great time together. You know, it was like you go on the road, you wrestle, you do all the stuff, you come home. 
Hey, Ray, the stripers are running. Get your ass down here. Okay, let's go get a couple stripes, man. And it was fun. It was a good time. And I, you know, I, I raised my two kids in North Jersey, and, you know, they're all on their way. They're married and so forth. And one of them's a nurse. One of them's a realtor. Mm. You know, so that aspect of my life, you know, my family, my kids, my grandkids, everybody's doing good. You know, I got no complaints. And then when I wasn't um, working as a wrestler, I worked as a carpenter. I, you know, had a, I was in the local union, and uh, you know, I had a, a, a decent job when I finished wrestling. I came home, and that's what I did. I was one of the lucky ones. You know, a lot of the boys had nothing to go back to, nothing to fall back on. I was fortunate enough that I had a little bit of talent that I could go do that. How did, how did you how did your professional wrestling career begin? I was working the door of a club, and Johnny Rods came in and a couple guys, and I talked to them and said I'd like to try it, and I went down and worked out. And now you you knew who they were, obviously. Oh sure. So were you like in awe? Like I was a big fan. I loved wrestling. I used to watch Bruno and Dominic and everybody. You know, I, I was a huge fan. Most of the guys in this business, if if they admit to it or they don't, they were fans. Right. I was. Well, so when you work in a club and like a guy like Rods walks sure. in, are you just like, holy shit, it's Johnny Rods? Let him right in. <laughs> Come on in, Johnny. <laughs> sure. Make friends, you know? <laughs> so, what, what wrestlers did you grow up idolizing? Oh, you mean like my, well, my favorite was Bruno, of course, you know? I mean, I was, being, yeah, I was York, a kid from Jersey, New York. I loved yeah. Bruno and, uh, you know, I liked a lot of the, you know, Dominic DiNucci and, uh, you know, Strongbow and uh, there was guys that, you know, in New York, just about every big star would come through at one time or another. So we were in a, a really good place, being this part of the country. You got the sort of Don Leo Jonathans and the Haystacks Calhouns and the Freddie Blassies. And we got to see just about everybody in the business would come through New York. Did you ever get to meet Bruno? Sure. And how was that? Just the way he was on TV is the way he was. That was he was not an act. He was the real McCoy. Bruno was a real respectful, down-to-earth guy, you know, and if if you did the right thing and presented yourself right, he would talk to you, he would help you. He was a great guy. What year did you break in? 80. Wow. You know. So, so Dark Side of the Ring, we were talking about that. We'll, we'll get into your friend, uh, Scott Bigelow, but um, they had the Matt Bourne one on. And you know, okay. again, when I when I when I watch like doing this clown thing, I, I I instantly think of you, right? I never really thought about Matt Bourne, but um, does it does it bother you that the Matt Bourne thing somewhat overshadows the character that you 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 play? I mean, it doesn't overshadow it to me because let's face it, the truth is Matt Bourne started the the character. He started the doing character off. Matt was a really good wrestler. His problems were outside the ring. He had some bad habits. He had a couple of problems. The office let him go. They terminated his contract. They hired me to take over and take the character on. So, I mean, as far as I have no hard feelings to Matt, God rest his soul. And, I mean, I don't think he had problems with me. Because neither one of us did anything to each other. Right. It was a, it was a case of the office and him having a problem, and then, you know, if it wasn't me, someone else was going to get the job. So, mm -hmm. they they had made their mind up that they were going in a different direction, and it didn't include Matt. Now, if you had to ask anybody, you'd have to ask Vince McMahon, you know, why he did what he did and how come and what for and all that other stuff that, you know. So, I mean, to me, it never doesn't overshadow it. It's just the truth. Matt did it for a while, and then I took over, and that's that's the whole truth to the whole situation. So, you know, while we're talking about dark side of the of the ring, Monty was bringing up a uh, uh, Bam Bam Bigelow. Um, how did you how did you build your relationship with Bam Bam? <laughs> well, I had met Scott when uh, he was working. He was going to school at the Monster Factory in Larry Sharp's uh, training facility. And uh, a, 
I met him because Larry was running shows with a lot of his students, and he'd hire other guys, us guys, to work on the show. And finally one day I said to him, when, when is that, that big kid going to get in the ring? Larry says, oh, he's almost ready, but not yet. I said, come on, you want to work out? Because it was, be, you know, early before everybody came in. I said, you want to get in there and work out? Scott goes, yeah. I said, how come you don't work out with these other guys? He goes, they won't work out with me. They're all scared of me. I go, well, let's go. I'm not scared. Let's work out. And Scott and I would go in, and we'd work out till they told us to get out because the people were coming in. And then I would, like, once a month, I would drive down to, like, Philadelphia where his school was, and I'd work out with Scott. And we, <laughs> we were so light on the loot that I would tell him, you know, listen, I, at that time, I go, I, I need, a, I need a, a 10 bucks to get home for the to tolls and the fuel, but I got another 10, and he, whatever he had, we'd put together, and we would go to a, a fast food place where we could add the money up because we didn't have enough money to sit down and order a dinner. Wow. So, I mean, that, that's how it started, and then ultimately it, it ended a lot better when we were making money. <laughs> yeah, right, exactly. <laughs> we could sit down and order whatever we wanted, but, yeah, that's the truth. So when you were training with him, like, were you like, oh, man, this guy is something no one's oh, yeah. ever seen before? I mean, I couldn't believe a guy that big could move that quick. He was the quickest big guy. I don't know how fast he could run the 40-yard dash, but at 18 feet from rope to rope, he was fast. He was as fast as anybody in there. He could really move, and he was light on his feet, you know. I mean, a cat could do cartwheels and moonsaws. He was a 400-pound guy doing that stuff. You know, that's stuff that a 120-pound gymnast does. Now, the stories on Dark Side of the Ring, they, they told a story about how he saved, like, a family out of a burning building. And I think he was in jail in Mexico or something, and he broke through walls and then ended up being a body. Are these true stories, or is this all made up? Well, as far as him uh, uh, putting the fire out, I, I heard things about that. I, I wasn't there, obviously, but I heard about it. As far as him going to Mexico, yeah, he, he went to Mexico to bring back a, a girl that got kidnapped or some stuff. And... Uh, from what I was told, it was a pretty hairy operation. The guy he was with got killed and all kinds of stuff like that. Yeah, that's uh, that's there. I want to bring it back, though, to Pretty Boy Larry Sharp, right? That's a guy that never really gets a lot of play by anybody. Sure. I grew up on Larry Sharp. I love that guy. But can you tell us a little bit about Larry Sharp and what kind of person he was? <laughs> Larry Sharp was, well, first of all, he was a real good amateur wrestler. He was a, a state champ. You know, he was good. He could wrestle. And he had a lot of talent and charisma in the ring. He was very flamboyant with the robes and the long blonde hair. He knew how to, he knew, he was a real pro. He knew how to do it. You know, I mean, he, he lived his life a little, a little crazy, you know. But I liked that. So I thought he was, he was fun to be around. He was, Larry was a good guy. I liked him. So, again, you, you you wrestle you trained at the monster fight, right? I, I never did. I just used to go down and work out with Scott. So you just went to work out with Scott. Yeah, because okay. I was already wrestling. Right. But at that time, you know, so I just would drive down there just to work out with him, because you know he would we got to be friendly, you know, and he he would love when I'd come down and work out with him. Now you were like, but you then you must have been like royalty, right? You're like, oh shit, you know. It's no, I I was Apollo. I was no big deal. I didn't I had hadn't been anywhere. I was. Uh, you know, the only place I might have been by that time was maybe Grand Prix, you okay. know, in, in Canada and stuff. I wasn't a household name. No one really knew who I was in the States, you know. How, how was Larry Sharp? He, he owned the, the training school. Was he on the up and up? Was it an up and up type? Because you hear all these, like, these school stories where they're trying to train these guys and they fucking rip them off and they do all this shit to them. And... I mean, Larry had the Monster Factory and, you know, that was there and, as far as I know, everybody that paid him money to train, trained. How far everybody went, you know, I don't know. But, I mean, I think, I think Papa Shango went there, too. Really? Yeah, I, I, know I that. think. I think. Don't hold me to 100%, but I think Papa Shango went there. So when you're in the WWE and Scott's in the WWE, they put you guys, you know, together. Is that because they knew you guys were friends? I mean, how does that come about? No. They had no idea of Scott and mine really? prior, prior you know, that we would worked out, you know, 15 years before that in a monster factory. They just did it for the characters, you know, the big stomping 
bald-headed, 400-pound, flamed-head bear against this clown who's going to torture him and drive him nuts, you know? <laughs> right. Well, every clown needs a straight man. Right. So, yeah, it was, uh, it was perfect. So it's like a dream, then. You're like, holy shit, I oh, can't yeah. believe that they just did this out of the blue. That's incredible. That was, it was a stroke of luck. It was, I had nothing to do with orchestrating that. How was your chemistry in a ring together later on? Because, you know, you both, was it fine? Well, he turned into one of the best wrestlers in the business, you know. And he, he, was, he was easy. He was great to wrestle with. He was great. I, I don't want to get too deep into it, but, you know, obviously he was in a lot of pain. He's a big man doing yeah. a lot of stuff. He's a very close friend of yours. Like you said, you'd go do things together. Did you start to see him start to slip, and were you able to? Or were you trying to help him, or was it just something you didn't? Yeah, know I mean, about? He, after he had back surgery, I mean, he had several surgeries, you know, but the one that really, really, you know, cemented almost the end of his career was back surgery. You know, he was in uh, a lot of pain. You know, and like you said, when you're 400 pounds and you have back surgery, it's not like you're 150 pounds and you right. have back surgery. It's a different ball game, and well, I felt sorry for him. I felt bad for him, but there really wasn't much I could do for him. I mean, you know, just be his friend, I guess. Be his right? friend, go down. We, you know, we'd watch football together, go out, eat, stuff like that. But how does his, how did his death affect you? Well, I was very upset for quite a while. You know, I mean, uh, you know, when you have a friend like that that you've been around the world with a couple times and been all over this whole planet. And then, you know, when he's gone, there's an empty space there. You know, and it'll, it'll, that spot will never be filled until I see him someday. Yeah. You know? So when you see something like the dark side of the ring, which I, I, I honestly don't think they put him in a bad light at all. I, I no. thought exactly what we just spoke about. This is a big man who's an athlete that ended up getting injured and he needed help to keep his career going and it's, it steamrolled out of control, which happens to tons of people, right? Yeah. Um, does that bring back bad memories? Does it bring back good memories? I mean, what you know? Well, the fact that he's he's gone, it's sad. But I got so many funny times and good times I had with him. It was it was great. You know, I I never think bad. I always think happy days. I, I want to talk about another guy who uh, is near and dear to the show. Ted Petty, uh, who oh, you were friends with. My buddy Ted. Um, yeah, he and I were partners in the South African thing with the WCW. Yeah. Was was Ted Petty a true badass? Well, Ted Petty won the Nationals in college when uh, Rutgers was in the uh, di uh, Division Two, not Division One. But still to this day, Rutgers gives out their award for their uh, amateur wrestler who they think is the best on their squad, and it's called the Petty Award. So when they name a trophy after you, I think you left your mark. Wow. Oh, and then Teddy was a good boxer. Teddy was good with his hands. He had probably 10 or so pro fights. Hmm. T Teddy could fight. So Teddy was like a real deal badass then. Yeah, but you'd never know it. Never know it. He was always smiling. He was the happiest guy on the fucking planet. You really have to do something to get him going, you know? And I, boy, I tried so many times. <laughs> <laughs> like, what'd you do? Oh, I would tease the living shit out of him. And he would, Jesus, Raymond! <laughs> I, had, I had a lot of fun with him. We, this is a funny story about getting fired. You'll like this one. Ole Anderson was the booker for WCW at the time. He brings Teddy and I in. And we're going to be representing the country of South Africa. And they're going to have a tag team tournament. So I said, okay, Oli, I'll come down, do the TV, do what we have to do. But I got two weeks to do in Japan. Where well, he made the commitment. I don't, want to, I don't want to just walk out on him because then I'm burning the bridge. He says, no, I understand that. He goes, just fly right from Japan right to St. Louis and you'll do the Starcade against the Steiners. Okay. So, off I go. There's Teddy in the airport waiting for me. Picks me up. I go, hey, buddy, how you doing? He says, all right, Raymond. Okay, we get in the car. We're driving down the road. He goes, there's something I got to tell you. I go, okay, let's have it. He goes, we got fired. We got fired. 
well, what did you do? Because I was 6,000 miles away from here on the other side of the earth. I know it wasn't me, so you better start talking. I said, pull the car over. He goes, Raymond, Raymond. I said, I've had enough of this stuff. Pull the car over. He goes, Raymond, Raymond, let me explain this. I go, this ought to be a good one. He goes, you know, well, Ole Anderson brought us in and gave us the job. Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm aware of that. He goes, and while you were gone in Japan, they fired Ole Anderson and they made Dusty Rhodes the new booker. I said, okay, that's fine. He said, and Dusty fired anybody that Ole brought in. Oh, Jesus, are you serious? I said, so you're telling me we got fired, I was in Japan, and we didn't even do nothing wrong. He goes, that's it. Was was Oli that hated? I mean, a lot of no, guys. No, I come liked him. You I did like him. Because I've had so many guys in here. To this day, they... I still like him. <laughs> All right, because that's good. And and you like Dusty. Dusty. <laughs> All right, so give me the dust because I've heard different stories on Dusty. Well, Dusty had his own little crew, and he had his ideas. And what worked real well for him in the Carolinas prior to that is what he was replicating and trying to do in WCW. And, you know, everybody has their own direction in this business, you know what I mean? And, uh, like, you know, Ole was going to go in this direction, and then Dusty wants to go in that direction, and then who knows who's going to take over and go in a different direction. And people that are in, in caught in the mix get fired and they didn't do nothing right, right. because it's not going in the direction they wanted to go in. And that's it. That's it. So one of the big things that happened, right, so – Obviously, famous professional wrestler. We just told you that you're the elite of the elite. You worked for the big time. Um, the money in the WWE is good. When I have some of the Southern guys in, the WCW guys or whatever, they tell me their money was good too. What was the difference between working for Vince in the WWE and working for WCW? Well, one of the major things in... You know, WCW, it would go from a booking committee to a booker, and it would be always a revolving door. WWF was Vince McMahon, and was Vince McMahon, and was Vince McMahon. Right. There was no revolving door. The buck stopped at that table. So that's a much different structure, if you will, because, I mean, for a while they had a booking committee in WCW. You had, uh, you know, Rhodes and Flair and Tully and... Arn and Ole and that, and they had put their heads together. Then you had, you know, one guy would take, and Kevin Sullivan would take over. And then, you know, so you, you had musical chairs of people running the show, whereas in New York you only had one guy from the 80s till I don't know, a couple weeks ago, <laughs> still running it, you know? Do you have any opinions on that, on that whole uh, WWF or WWE selling out to Endeavor? Well... I don't know how you could resist the amount of money that was offered to him. I mean, if the numbers are right from what I'm told, you know, how do you say no? You can't. You can't. I mean, he built it from a little organization to a multi-billion dollar company, and he reaped the rewards and took all his marbles off the table, and now he's going home. I don't blame him. Would you have imagined that the WWE would sell for billions of dollars at this point? No. No, not billions, no. Never. I never would have came up with that. With that would never have gotten into my head. Is Vince McMahon... Let me rephrase the question. What do you think of Vince McMahon, the promoter, and the human being? Well, it's two different people. I mean, it's hard to argue with success. Right. I mean, uh, you know, as far as promoting, I mean, how many times people would say, Vince is destroying the business. Vince is going to ruin the wrestling business. Well, that was 35, 40 years ago. It's still going, so I guess they were wrong. Right. And he took a company that was a regional uh, wrestling promotion and made it worldwide. It is the Worldwide Wrestling Federation. It's not just in America. It's all over the place. So, I mean, as far as business goes, you've got to take your hat off to him. He's just a very, very successful businessman. So do you think it's going to change with him not at the, not at the head? 
Well, I don't know. I don't know all the inner workings. I don't know if he still works there. Is he still inciting it? Is he still uh, have part and parcel to it? He might, you know. I mean, I'm sure there's a lot of things like, you know, no compete clause, and there's probably paragraphs and pages and stuff of what the sale was involved in, which I'm not privy to. So, I mean, uh, I, I, I think Vince probably still has a hand in it because that's his baby. He created it, you know. He doesn't want to just walk away and go play golf. He might play golf, but I think he wants to have something to right. do with it still. Why do you think the older wrestler, and let's even say the older wrestling fan, have such a problem with today's product? Like, what, 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 you know, what, what's the issue? Like, you have the old wrestling fans like, oh, you know, I miss the days where there was regional wrestling, and then you got the older wrestlers like, oh, today's wrestlers, they don't know anything about wrestling, blah, 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 blah. Well, I think it alludes back to what I said a while ago. I think... Years ago, we were in smaller venues all the time. We'd do Madison Square Garden once a month. You know, you would do bigger shows, but you were always in, like, Sunnyside Garden in Queens or the Ridgewood Grove Arena or Wagner College or Lehman High School. Or There's a hundred venues where you'd get three, 4,000, maybe, maybe 5,000 people at a venue. So the fans were up closer to you. They would meet you in the parking lot. They would get to know you, and you would get to know them. And that's one aspect of it. It was more uh, like close, like family, like hands-on. It wasn't like, you know, you just watch somebody in the middle of MetLife Stadium. <laughs> right, <laughs> you know? right. And, um, you know, the wrestling today is much more uh, acrobatic. You know, when in the old days you were, you know, wrestling in the ring and you were on the mat, you were, you know, you you really maybe one guy jumped off the top like jimmy snooker or something but other than that everybody else stayed grounded you know and it was a wrestling more of a wrestling type atmosphere where today there's a lot more uh, acrobatics and gymnastics and uh, you know these guys today i mean they're tremendous athletes but a little unrealistic yeah, yeah what do you think of the uh finishing maneuver basically not meaning anything nowadays it's well yeah i mean that doesn't tell a story much anymore, no. you know. And like I said, it's it's a different time, a different era. For me to say that, uh, you know, what I did when I was there and when I started is better, that's not really fair. You know, I mean, it's up to what the people like and what the people want to see is what they're going to pay their money to go see. You know, I don't know, I don't know and we'll never know if the stuff that we did in the 80s would work today. You know, it's funny you said it. Cause it was, might. It might work great. Well, I don't know. It might, I, not, it might be a bomb. I, I, was, I was telling Farrow a while ago, because, you know, they got the network, right? And, you know, growing up, like, I'd go to the garden. I'd watch Morocco against Backlund. Sure. Incredible, right? I, I, the memories I have of it. But when I put it on the network, I'm like, oh, boy. This is a hard watch because there's a lot of slow holds, yeah. right? Long it was a arm bars. It's a different time, a different era. You know, like I said, I don't know if what we did back then would work today. No, I don't think it would. I mean, we just talked about baseball know. earlier. They had to change the game because yeah. today's audience has to get in and out, right? They got to get into the game, get out of the game. Uh, Ray, I'm going to move something. Wrestling podcast, right? Now, since we've been doing shows, now every wrestler is getting a podcast. That seems to be the in thing to do. Um, you know, last time you were in here, we talked about the click and whatever, but... The one popular show is Click This with Kevin Nash. Mm -hmm. um, when you listen to Kevin on this podcast, I, I listen to it. He, he seems like a highly intelligent man with a lot of opinions. What was Kevin Nash like when you were around him back in the day? Was he that same type of guy, really uh, intelligent, or what was he like? Yeah, oh, Nash is not stupid by any means. Kevin is a smart guy. He's a very learned individual. Um, he was more serious because he was trying to get his character. When I first met him, he was really working on that Diesel character and getting everything in, and he was trying to move up the ladder. So, yeah, but, I mean, he was, uh, he was always on point. He was, you know, he was, uh, he was a responsible talent. Different than some of the other guys then, right? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. 
Did you ever wonder, so that you're saying about Kevin, uh, did you feel the same way about Hall? And I'm not talking about someone who's passed. Uh, well, I, I'm just saying, like, they were best of friends and being so yeah. different, like, to me, not knowing either one, but listening to Nash on a podcast and yeah. knowing Scott Hall from when he was interviewed here and just knowing what you hear about him, it doesn't seem like a friendship that would that kind of oh, melts. Well, they, they were very good friends. They were very good friends, but 180 degrees opposite. I mean, Scott, Scott Hall was not stupid by any means. He, no. was, he was a very intelligent guy. But he probably had the most talent that was never used to his full potential because, quite frankly, you know, he would do things that you shouldn't do, and they would always seem like they'd pull him back a little bit. I mean, for a guy that big, and he looked the way he looked, he was a hell of a talent. I mean, he could have been the champ at any time. People would have believed it, too. I mean, he was a big, strong guy that could really wrestle. He could move. He, usually when they get that tall, they get a little clumsy, you know? Right. No, he wasn't. He was very uh, very coordinated, very, very, very top piece of talent. But would I be out of line to say, and I don't know, but the feeling I got when I met him, he didn't seem like a nice person to me. Like, I, I, you know, was he, a, was he a good person? Like, Nash seems like a good person to me, mm -hmm. right? I don't know Nash either, but Scott didn't come off to me as a, a, a good human being. Well, it depended on what day and when you caught him, right. how it would go. Like I said, he had, he had some demons, he had some issues, and when he was in, the, in his right state of mind and everything, he was a really good guy. It's when he got into things he shouldn't be doing is when he would get in trouble. I got you. I got you. Um, we're almost out of time. I want to thank you again for everything. My pleasure. You are uh, quite the gentleman. Maybe you could send a little special love note out to Farrow. Wish him a little oh. luck in Florida. Farrow, you have no idea. I came <laughs> out here, you know, I drove four and a half hours in the rain. We had rain up here like they were going to put animals on a boat two at a time. And I was all that. I was just so excited to see you. And now I got some cheap two-bit knockoff guy <laughs> sitting over here next to me. That would be me. <laughs> you know, it, it's, just, it's just not the same. So I know you're down in Florida soaking up the sun. I hope you're having a really good time. I miss you. Hope to see you soon, Farrow. Well, since you say so, what are the, what are the odds that Farrow will be back up here in New York? What are you thinking? Thanksgiving. Thanksgiving? Yeah. <laughs> it's already Thanksgiving. I agree. I think maybe after Thanksgiving. He's got to break some turkey down there and come up. Mm. Right? I did Thanksgiving. He'll be back. Yeah. The room's waiting for you, Jimmy. I'll, I'll open yeah, up the room. Yeah, you can't stay out of New York too long. Yeah, <laughs> yeah he'll be back. Uh, before I turn it over to this, this great fill-in for Jimmy, he's doing a wonderful Why, job. Why, is someone else coming in? <laughs> oh, no, it's that, that guy again? <laughs> the, the, the Monty and the Farrell family's asking, do you have any Andre the Giant stories? Seems to be the popular question here. Well, Andre was one in a million. Just, he was unbelievable. Unbelievable. I mean, he, you always wanted to stay on his good side. Because if you did, that could get really bad. But, I mean, I, when he would walk through an airport or into a, a restaurant, the whole place would just stop. It was unbelievable. And it was... It was great, but it was sometimes it was really tough on him too, you know. You know, some days you just don't you don't want to be bothered, you want to be left alone, right? And there's a guy who was in a lot of pain. You know, his back can you imagine how he felt over mm. seven foot, five hundred pounds? Right. And his back is bad. Oh buddy, that's gotta be insurmountable. Insurmountable. How did you get on his good side? I always said hello to him, I stayed away. I never really Crowds up. I would say hello and walk away. And did he ever like say, "Boss, come here. We got to play cribbage or something like yeah, that"? Yeah. Well, no. I, you know, he would always play with Tito or somebody. He had his cribbage buddies. You know. Tito was his cribbage. Oh, okay. he loved playing. Very he cool. loved Tito Santana. Yeah. All right. So Farrow's final question. Now, when we had uh, Anthony in here, he he dropped the ball. It was it was probably the worst question ever. Oh, so God. hopefully he's going to redeem himself. <laughs> right Is he going to try it again? He's going to try it again. And you know, and how nice. you with the great Ray Apollo? Take two. Don't f this up, bro. Take well, two. Take. 
I'm going to not be welcome back. Don't mess tonight. this up. Don't mess this up. <laughs> All right, let's Listen, have I, it, kid. I, 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 uh, this is a little bit personal. So I grew up going to the Poughkeepsie Civic Center pretty much every TV taping during the 80s. What, are, what memories do you have of that arena? Good, bad? The Mid-Hudson Civic Center? Yeah, the Mid-Hudson Civic Center. Well, the locker rooms were great. <laughs> not, not really, no. It was, a, it was a smaller venue that was like what I was talking about. You know, it would get its three, 4,000 people, and it was, a, it was a nice. When I worked there, I worked there prior to wrestling for Vince. But working there for Vince, we would do TVs there, and it was a, it was a good place to do TV. It was a good TV building. Yeah. Like some of my favorite ones, I mean, I got to see Andre the Giant there get his hair cut. Um, got to see Paul Lorndorff and Hulk Hogan. I mean, Paul it just seemed Hulk. like a venue that was very prevalent in the 80s when it came to the, to oh, the, yeah. to the TV tapings. It was. It was, a, it was a stop for Mr. McMahon, for sure. For sure. Ray, I'm a little disappointed in you accepting that question. That could have been... That's. Just was awful, uh, honestly. I How think much was, can we kick this? Guy? I, I, listen, I'm just. Hey, I'm just I got it now. I got to come back with one more question. All right. Um, Luna Vachon, what did she mean to pro wrestling, and what was the human like to Ray Apollo? I think uh, she deserves a shout out from you. Oh, Luna was a real good girl. I liked her a lot. She had her issues, you know. Every now and then, she would uh, fly off the handle and so forth. But she had a good heart. She would never, you know, she wasn't like a mean or violent. She could get violent and mean. If you did the wrong thing to her, she'd punch you in the face, you know. But, I mean, I, I liked being around her. We would go to the gym and work out together. We'd go eat together. I mean, I liked it. We rode in the cars together. She was a lot of fun. I really liked I miss her. Again, just sitting across from you, listening to you speak about all these people, and you could see how much joy is in your heart. How hard is it for you to watch all your family, all these family members who you love so dearly pass away for whatever reason? Doesn't matter. What. Yeah, it's. Uh, How does that affect you, Ray? It's uh, sometimes it's really it gets to you a little bit. I just don't let it bring me down. I think of all the good times I had with them, and you know, I say to myself, I was good to them. They were good to me. We made the most of our life that we knew of each other, and. I just know someday I'll see them all again. Ray, I want to thank you again. It's an honor to ever have you in, whenever you're in this studio. You are a gentleman. You're an all-time great wrestler, and you're a hell of a human being. And uh, I just want to thank you for taking the time out of your busy schedule coming in here. Thank you so much. Thank you, Monty. It's uh, great to be on the show again. And who knows, maybe after Thanksgiving or so, we'll have the, the real Pharaoh back, you know. <laughs> And then you can get this kid a job doing something around here. Let him sweep up. <laughs> he can, he can sweep yeah. up. Yeah, let him do something. I mean, he's not too good at what he does, right? So give him a job. Yeah, you got you got to give him a break. He's only been doing it for 14 years. He's got a little more time. <laughs> he's he's going to get he'll, he'll He'll get on to it yet, right? He'll get it. Yeah. He might be able to make you laugh <laughs> I think. within five hours, maybe get you a good job. Yeah. Anyway, you want to send us out? You've been watching the world's number one wrestling broadcast with Monty and Ray Apollo. This is Bruce. We'll see you guys later.